This show is sponsored by the Bitbox O2 Bitcoin-only hardware wallet by Shift Crypto. If you're new to Bitcoin and you're looking to get started with self-custody, which you should definitely be doing, uh, this hardware wallet is a great way to get started. It's easy to set up and it's easy to use. It's also got a lot of great features for more advanced users that I've uh, been appreciating, such as the ability to roll your own seed, coin control, connect to your own node, Raspi Blitz, MyNode, Umbral, and others, um, connect via Tor. And if you're using multi-sig solutions and you'd like to reduce the supply chain attack surface and you want to mix in a, a hardware wallet from another manufacturer, I think this is a great option and uh, the BitBox is compatible with wallets like Spectre, Sparrow, and others. I've been using it a bunch lately and I've been really happy with it. So if you would like to learn more about it, check out the specs. Go to shiftcrypto.ch forward slash rapid fire where you can get 5% off. Let's do it. Boom. We're live. Gentlemen, welcome. How are you? Great. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Just got you back all, from the you, farm. You always look like you're doing fantastic. Always a big smile <laughs> on your face, you know, topless. Love to see it. I was walking through a grocery store one time and the cashier who like, it was one of those little health food stores, right? So you see the same faces over and over and over again. She asked me one day, she was like, do you ever stop smiling? I'm like, <laughs> I mean, it's been a pretty rough week, but no, I don't, I don't think I ever do. I mean, if you ain't just riffing and enjoying the adventure, what you doing, man? <laughs> I love it. I love it. So uh, context for this discussion for people, first of all, I mean, anytime Untap hits you up and says, you know, I want to jam, the immediate response is yes. So that's, that's part of this. But the other part <laughs> is, uh, you know, you brought Tim into the fray and you said, you know, you, uh, Tim, I think you've recently come into Bitcoin and you have a long history in your family of regenerative agriculture. And there was an obvious, um, you know, uh, overlap there between not only Bitcoin, but what Joel is doing. And I got to say, man, like I've been traveling since Miami. I've been in, you know, uh, Central America, mostly El Salvador and Costa Rica. And I've been hanging out with a lot of Bitcoiners, which has been awesome. And the, the, the topic of, of greatest discussion, one is like where to go, right? Because, you know, people want to get out unless they live in Texas or maybe Idaho or Florida. Everyone's like, where the fuck should we go right now? And so that's, you know, one of the main topics of discussion. The other one, though, and the, the topic that most people seem to be most interested in is, you know, kind of the stuff that, Joel, you pro popularized in the podcast you've been doing over the last six months, which is this regenerative agriculture, mixing in cattle ranching into Citadel dreams. And like, you know, I, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had where like people are starting to look at property. And like one of the things that they're looking for is like, can I put a few cows on that thing? You know, and so it's amazing how uh, so many people now have been kind of attuned to be like thinking about their plans and their life and their, their home situation with this in mind. So uh, when you said like, let's get together and, and really talk about some of the more or talk about how the, how Bitcoin relates to this and Tim, because you're so early in your journey, kind of get a perspective on, on what that looks like coming from long time regen ag to kind of short time Bitcoin <clears throat> and see what kind of stuff we can, we can come up with. So I appreciate you guys doing this and maybe uh, Tim, we'll get you to go, uh, introduce yourself first and a bit of your background and then untap for the uh, few people that may not be familiar with you. We'll, we'll get you to do that and then we'll roll on. Sounds, Sounds good. good. Yeah. So, um, you know, I grew up on a regenerative farm. We didn't really call it regenerative agriculture at that point. Um, my dad was basically just an unconventional farmer. 
um, trying things to improve the land in unique ways, um, trying to get better cash flow through um, incorporating different crops. Just he's the kind of person that um, he just kind of is just outside the system. You know, he didn't have like another parallel system like Bitcoin that he was thinking about, but he just can, can just live in an, in, a, in an environment outside the system and not be bothered by it. And so he was always just experimenting with stuff, trying things. Um, so my whole life had just been growing up in that environment on the farm of just him just doing stuff, both with the, the farming side of things and then the kind of the marketing and the cattle buying and selling side of things um, that was unique. And so, and I eventually uh, left the farm for, for reasons unrelated to farming and, um, and have been basically since then wanting to get back into regenerative agriculture um, on a, you know, a practical level, basically owning, owning land, having the cattle, um, running all kinds of animals. Um, probably not from a, you know, like a homesteader perspective, but just as a way of ensuring that my family has good food and uh, as a way of, it, it just kind of fits in my perspective of the world and how I want to um, create and, and help the world become better um, through better land stewardship. Um, so that's just kind of a little bit of my background. I'll save kind of uh, my, my intro to Bitcoin for probably later. Okay. All right. I'll introduce myself, I guess. I'm on tap growth. So those of you who don't know me, Joel, um, I'm a Bitcoiner first. But my thing is I've brought regenerative agriculture to the Bitcoin community, trying to spark the emergence of the Citadel Revolution. Um, I mean, the thesis of the sovereign individual is that Bitcoin and all the emergent tech that's coming lowers the cost of defense and raises the cost of offense. So it's going to strip power from the state and give power to the individual and the small community family groups again. And so, so many of us have been talking about like, how do we start building our communities and citadels in a way that's self-sovereign and censorship resistant? But in the community, there was such a vibe of like, it would just be magic. We just build a bunch of houses to have a city and then all of a sudden, like, it'll just happen, right? Like, versus with Bitcoin, we, we, we've come to understand this idea of emergence and cultivating space for emergence to happen with a story that's larger than ourselves, right? Like, uh, Bitcoiners talk about how the network effects and the ossification of the network and the path to sentence the dependencies is uh it's all kind of like an immaculate conception of something you couldn't have predicted but it defines what bitcoins become but we we weren't taking that to the rest of our lives especially in our goals of building the, like the next foundations for our families of where we're going to live and kind of build the the structures of the new world so my thesis was most civilizations start from the soil Soil, food, communities start to congregate around areas that are productive, where you have the resources you need for humans to thrive. And then whatever places have access to best energy resources, whether that be on trade routes or close to energy centers for production on easy transportation on rivers or whatever, those became the nodes of society for whatever the next epoch of humanity was. And so rather than us throwing a bunch of buildings together and hoping it would become a citadel, let's just start with booting up a bunch of farms around the country and throw some RV pads on them and maybe some Airbnbs for the ones that are growing little tiny houses and build some community centers and let the community emerge. And the ones that became centers have become the foundations of our citadels. Amen. You know, I've been thinking recently after, cause this, this, this dialogue of like, do you want to be in the mix, right? Where all the, the chaos and craziness is going to happen, right? Where the, you know, the, the front of the, 
front of the battle line, as it were, right? Or do you want to be just insulate yourself and isolate yourself away from it all and be in the jungle and have everything you want and have a few good people around and ride out the storm? And maybe that's a false dichotomy, but after spending time in uh, Central America, I'm kind of feeling the latter. And like, you know, initially I thought it was a bit of a cop out, but Joel, as you say, like, if you can develop these small communities and you can, you know, you can regenerate, I mean, if the land needs to be regenerated or just live off the land in a, in a sustainable way and feed yourself and your family and, and grow a community there of like-minded people that are all contributing in some, some way, then, you know, that times a thousand times 10,000 gives people so much more optionality to extricate themselves from situations they may not want to be in or to actually start living the lives that they want to. And then, of course, when they do that, when they're, you know, I was telling this to someone yesterday, I'm in Miami now, right? And there's, there's so much noise, you know, and what I like about those places is like I get to focus on the things that are most meaningful to me the people I love to, to hang around with, the work that I find most impactful, meaningful, my health, you know, my spirituality spending time in nature, you know, those sorts of things are like the things that that's pretty much all I want to focus on. And in those places, you can do that because you, there's not that much noise around you curate your environment. You know, you have a lot of control over curating your environment. Whereas in a place like Miami, it's just, it's, it's madness everywhere, right? There's noise everywhere. And I think, um, you know, I think I'm now of the opinion that I thought like the Citadel was a further off thing. And I feel like a lot of Bitcoiners maybe felt the same way, but Joel, I think your work has started to introduce into our minds. Like it can start immediately on a smaller scale. It doesn't have to be come out of the, you know, come out of the womb, like fully formed, but you can start doing it. And that just increases people's optionality for where to go and what kind of lifestyle they can have. And then as a result of doing that, as a result of actually building the things that you want, where you want, if enough people do that, then we start to really create this kind of change that just, you know, causes a change from the inside out rather than, you know, isolating or defining a certain battle line and sticking in a flag and saying, you know, this is where we hold them sort of thing. So uh, I'm, uh, yeah, I don't know what the point there was, but th that's where I've been thinking lately, you know, that, uh, yeah, I, that that's what I'm looking to establish. I think a lot of people in the community underestimated, including me, just how rapid the onslaught of the totalitarianism was going to be. Totally. I mean, it's been freaking mind blowing the whole vaccine passport thing. Now they're ramping up the like mandatory vaccines, the masks and all that again, just this week. Yeah. I mean, if you like the WEF, they've published their whole playbook, right? They keep telling us what they're going to do. And we're just kind of like, ah, oh, that's insane. They'd never do that. Like 2040, no airplanes, no air travel whatsoever. That's impossible. Carbon net zero. That's nobody would do that. You're going to shut the whole world down. And now, like, we see the craziness they have done. And we're like, okay, what these guys really are just that crazy. And if you look at them, their maps for what's kind of up in 2030, they're intending to have these mega city regions all over the US where these are completely controlled surveillance state zones where you can't buy or sell or be a part of the economy without having their digital ideas ids and being a part of their system so is it even going to be possible to not have your community outside of that to weather the storm anymore yeah it's a good question and, and given the that's pace one of things, my concerns yeah and the pace of things over the last year i mean it's, it's hard to even imagine what things look like a decade from now if that isn't slowed down or, or reversed in some way because it, it's 
I mean, this is why this has become almost like an emergency for a lot of us to figure out what to do, because in the span of 12 months and in particular, like maybe six, everyone's just like, holy shit, like things went from concerning to it's at your front door real quick, you know, and uh, I think there's a scramble to figure out what the best way to ride this out is, you know, and I guess that's part of the reason why we have these conversations. But Tim, yeah, uh, and that's why that's why regenerative agriculture guys like Tim are going to become so important so quickly. Yeah, because I mean, you and get I, like Australia, they're already talking about going door to door, and they're going to force you. Like, if yeah, it's insane. And I think what but, what you did, Joel, is like you made it. You made. I think all of us had an idea of farming, right? Like it was kind of a hard, tough life. You commit your whole career to it, and I think you introduced to our a lot of our consciousness that like no, like you can do this without it being a full time thing on a, on a certain scale. And it's not that complicated or difficult. And you can actually derive a lot of joy and satisfaction from doing it. You know, and I think that really changed a lot of people's perspectives on this and is why a lot of people are thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, when you do cattle, right, using the right animals with the like just rugged heritage breed genetics, it's so easy. It's almost like cheating. Uh, Tim can verify if he's found that true for him. But I like I feel like I'm just like cutting corners or something because it's just so <laughs> simple when I avoid all the problems normal ranchers with modern cattle have but first i wanted to ask tim real quick tim are you familiar with the citadel meme as me and john are talking about it yeah i mean i haven't read, uh, read too much about uh, you know citadel theory and stuff like that um but you know i'll just describe what i think it is and you tell me if it's right or wrong just the idea of of creating a self-sustaining ecosystem um with you know money food and energy um, that is kind of impervious to the demands of, of nation states and, and uh, authorities outside of that. Is that correct? Yeah, John, can you, can you describe the sovereign individual thesis a little bit for Tim so he could be looped in on the Bitcoin community the way they think about that? Yeah, sure. Tim, have you read that book? Just for I am cur currently listening to it. Right. So, I mean, oh, nice. For, to the first yeah. question, I mean, I don't think citadels are, are like specifically defined in most Bitcoiners' mind. I think the idea is like, Agreed. A place where I can go where nobody fucks with me and I can do what I want, you know, and however you establish that, whatever your demands are, it's going to look different for every person. You know, some for some people, it's like a space station and, you know, in space, sure. other people, it's a farm with your homies, other people, it's a castle, you know, so it's basically just me. Other people, other people place in of, the community are working yeah, on seasteads. They're actually going right, out right, trying right. to build flotillas and, and do fishing and stuff for sustainability. Yeah, I there's mean, a pretty it's big a, spectrum. It's a place of freedom and self-determination, right? Crazy concept where you know people can can live freely. But the sovereign individual thesis is, is is fairly basic. You know, it looks at history through the framework of how technological innovations change the logic of violence, right? As, as Joel was saying, kind of at the beginning, and how that influences the balance of power in the world, right? The cost of defense, the cost of offense, and you know, one of the you know the the, the theme of innovation generally has been, and, and what they posit in the book is that the information age is going to really flatten, you know, the power structure as it were, and people are going to have a lot more options to be mobile and to be non-dependent on the nation state architecture as it, as it was developed. And this is going to cause problems for the nation state naturally, because people are going to be more able to select their jurisdiction based on the services those jurisdictions provide in right. terms of protections and services, et cetera, versus just having been born in a place and not really having options to leave because your work is ge geographically dependent and, you know, all the other things that make mobility difficult. And of course, something like Bitcoin just amplifies that because now you can take your capital with you anywhere you go and it's beyond the reaches of the state, which is a massive blow to, again, the, the, the traditional architecture. 
And so the sovereign individual is basically just how technology gives people more freedom to live the life they want, where they want to live it, and how that's going to change the competitive dynamics of jurisdictions, where they're going to have to compete for your business, i.e., you know, to domicile yourself in a, in a particular place. Um, and as a result of that, nation states are probably going to shrink and potentially fracture because to maintain such behemoth um, uh, structures and, and the, you know, the bureaucracies of these things, is, it's not conducive to competition, right? They can maintain right. the size that they maintain because they have monopolies on violence that people can't extricate themselves from. But when they start to be able to do so, they're not able to maintain their size. And it's, they speculate in the book that we'll see a lot smaller whether they be nation states or just jurisdictions or free private cities or whatever it might be. I mean, the point is, is that the liberating effect of these technologies is going to completely restructure governance. And we're going to figure out, and we are figuring out right now, what that is going to look like. Is it going to be free private cities? What's going to happen to the monopoly on violence that generally enforces things like property rights and stuff like that? Like, how is that all going to play out? And of course, everyone has different opinions on what it's going to look like. But I think this uh, intuitive or natural shift toward what we're all doing or, or what many people in the space are doing right now and the conversations I've been having, like everyone's playing a jurisdictional arbitrage of some kind. You know, right. people are saying like, you know, yeah, I want to I move to Costa Rica so I'm not subject to the bullshit in Canada. And I want to I have a residency in Panama so I have no capital gains and no income tax gains. Like this is what's happening now. I mean, it's, 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 it's like gravity, right? It's, it's just, it's going to happen based on the tech that, based on what, opportunities and solutions the tech permits and we're in such a rapid we're in a period of such rapid change in that that domain that like there's no way the nation states are agile enough to keep up with that rate of change and not surprisingly uh in the book and spoiler alert they do talk about uh nation states invoking things like pandemics to stop the flow uh of people out of their jurisdictions and to try to maintain their hold uh, on what they've what they've built, right? So to tr to try to reverse that trend of pe people being able to choose their jurisdictions based on what they offer, you know, they talk about nation states leveraging pandemics, and here we are, you know, right. in just as they predicted. I mean, the predictive capacity of that book is outstanding. You know, they even predicted around second uh, decade of the twentieth twenty first century where all this would come to a head and. Here we are. So uh, that's generally just generally the thesis. And I think why there's been so much interest in the regen ag kind of homesteading sort of thing, because people see it as freedom. Say, hey, you know, I, I want to sustain my body on the on the best food possible. I want to be independent. I don't want to depend on the state or anybody else for my food. You know, I want um, I want that land. You know, I want to be a part of of cultivating my environment, you know, all that stuff uh, to to in establish greater sovereignty in people's lives. So that's generally the thesis of the book. And I think that's why we're seeing the things we're seeing play out now. Yeah, absolutely. Any so, thoughts, Tim? I mean, and that's, and that's one of the reasons, I guess, everything has seems to escalated this last year and a half, right? And, and so not only are you seeing, you know, kind of a confluence of, I think, interest in the Bitcoin community and what, in what Joel is doing, um, but there's a little bit more of an interest in, in anyone who, has a stake in the future. If you have a family, you're all of a sudden interested in securing some kind of food for the future um, as you know a base level of what you need. And so, I mean, all of that, I mean, just makes absolute sense from um, from that the thesis of that book. What was so one one thing that's really interesting to me, Tim, 
is that with the sovereign individual, they talk about how the power of the state grew in accordance with the advancement of the like industrial revolution, so to speak, where you needed these massive state structures to protect the large size of these industrialized trade entities, right? Mm-hmm. And if you look at where we're at in the world today through technology and as well as just we've pushed globalization too far due to soft money causing us to have to go faster and faster and cheaper and cheaper, right? Um, we've compromised resilience with this fragile black swan prone interdependence. And nowhere can that industrialization and the damage of it be seen more, in my opinion, than our farming model of what we've done to the soil. I mean, you read right. like dirt, the erosion of civilizations and all the stuff you and I know so well. My thesis is like dirt is your base productive asset of all civilizations, like taking dirt and making it living soil. So it's so cool to see this hunger awakening in the Bitcoin community for regenerative agriculture. Cause it's like, it's drawing people back to first principles of realizing soil matters. If we want to, step back from this big state power structure and deindustrialize into a more resilient interdependent like almost fungal network type model of tribes and families and communities that the place to start with the soil but i've noticed this really interesting trend bitcoiners love regenerative ag guys they love homesteaders the regen ag guys and homesteaders don't love the bitcoiners <laughs> so i'm super, right. have you have you seen that too john I haven't met many regen ag guys, to be honest. You know, I, so, I'm not so deep I'm in that community it. yet. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'd, I'd I'm love to hear at more. The door. What, what's oh, their it's issue? So funny. Are they just kind of like Luddites and they're not into tech or what? I mean, Sam, what like, are you seeing? Because you've seen it too, just as much well, as I yeah. have. And, and maybe this, this leads into a little bit of what got me in, into Bitcoin. Um, I can maybe start there and, and, and tell why I think that's the case. Um, it's actually, this is really full circle. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy. You know, I'll explain this in a minute, but as, as I was thinking about these things and wanting to kind of get back to the land and get back to the farm, thinking about um, how, can I, how can I approach this um, in this rent-seeking environment? I can't get an investor to buy me land because I can't cash flow something on that property um, you know, month by month to pay him. Um, and just trying to, trying to wrestle with these ideas, but not having a framework like Bitcoin to, with, with a different time preference to be able to pursue this. And so um, I, was, I was talking with a good buddy named Chris about a lot of these things. And he, uh, we were just kind of, you know, back and forth about it. And he, he sent me this podcast probably about mid-April called uh, Bitcoin Rapid Fire. And, um, and he's like, oh, these guys are doing stuff with Regen Egg. These Bitcoiners are. And so my like thought or my idea of what a Bitcoiner was, um, was like, okay, these guys are, you know, VC guys out of Silicon Valley. They're probably throwing up um, solar panels all over mountainsides and calling it regenerative agriculture, right? It's just like the idea that kind of, you know, I guess my community or the regenerative agriculture community would have was that it's just Bitcoin is tied up in with all of these other cryptocurrencies. And it's just a big speculative game um, for those that want to play, you know, in, in, in the financial markets. And so it's, it's, John, it's a little bit like maybe like the Luddite, like we're not that, you know, technically savvy people, but we're also just not really interested in say trading or speculating in the market. Right. It's Mm. generally speaking, if you are first a farmer and second into regenerative agriculture, 
you already have a bit of a lower time preference because you're not running necessarily on the hamster wheel or you're not trying to run on the hamster wheel of, of keeping up with the Joneses. Um, so anyways, that it was just, that, that was really my introduction to it. And, and so realizing it was just a big moment to realize, okay, there's this thing called Bitcoin here. And then there's just all of this other BS that's, you know, the cryptocurrency world basically um, that I don't even have to think about. Um, I don't even have to focus on, I don't have to learn about, right? Um, when I was listening to um, Joel and was it Poof? Yeah, um, Anthony. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right on. Yeah, it, it was just surprising to me because these guys are on the podcast and they're obviously not VC guys from Silicon Valley. They're a couple of redneck hillbillies. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it meant as a great compliment, Joel. Um, and, uh, and they're doing things that like, that I couldn't imagine doing with the kind of having the kind of ideas, right. The initial ideas of what I wanted to do, but they're, they're executing it in a way better fashion. They're actually building these systems out. And, and the realization for me was, okay, there's this foundation that they're building that on. And it's this thing called Bitcoin. Um, and Joel did a really good job in that, in that interview of, you know, really laying the philosophical foundation um, with Bitcoin for regenerative farming. And, uh, and it just all kind of started to make sense at that point. That was like mid April and it's just been down the rabbit hole since then. <laughs> so trying to, trying to tie these things together, trying to make those connections of like, how can we, um, how can we build with this tool in, in any are, industry that we're in? You, are you, you, I know you mentioned you grew up like on a family regen ag farm. Are you involved in that world at all today? Or are you? Yeah, I work for a group of farmers um, in a sales capacity for them, um, but I'm not directly connected to, to the family farm anymore. How has Bitcoin and starting to understand Bitcoin shifted your perspective on the landscape of, of regen ag? You know, like how has it, because, you know, once that orange pill starts doing its work, you just start looking at everything differently, right? And I'm wondering yeah. how that's impacted how you view things. I mean, it's, so it, it has impacted it a lot. And in, in, and in terms of like, kind of pre Bitcoin or no, no corner mindset that I was in, it was like, okay, I want to be involved in regenerative agriculture um, because I know that it's, it's good for the land. It's essentially good for the environment. Um, it's stewarding the earth. Um, but there's no way to kind of philosophically help the world see how this makes sense. And so there will always, in my mind, I was, there will always be this little pocket of people doing regenerative agriculture that is just completely outside the mainstream and it will never really gain mass adoption. You have some people on the left kind of jumping on the bandwagon um, because it helps fix climate change and that kind of their, their buzzwords. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, never, it's never going to scale to how they scale things um, to fix the problem, their, their perceived problems. Um, so it was just kind of the, this, this, this uh, not, not necessarily discouragement, but just kind of a realization that, hey, regenerative agriculture will be this little pocket of thing that I'm happy to be involved in, um, but it can never have just kind of a huge impact. But then, you, you know, with Bitcoin, it's like all of a sudden um, we can focus on value production because we have an actual hard asset that, that will, you know, grow into a, a deflationary environment and actually let us plan for the future. 
and think think in generations. And so first thing you start thinking about is, you know, leaving a heritage for your children's children. One of the big things with that is having say land or those kinds of, those kinds of kind of riches that we think of or wealth that we want to pass on. Um, what better way of, of doing that than through, you know, rich land that is improving year over year, making future generations more wealthy essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Bitcoin provides that context and mindset um, and the store value so that you can go out and, and build those systems. You know, because money is just a store of energy, right? So we as regenerative agriculture guys, we've been on this hamster wheel. Our energy getting stolen. Oh, did I lose you? Your your audio went squirky for a sec, but you're back now. Hold on. I'll be back in two. My uh, my phone started ringing. Sorry, guys. Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. All right. So money's just energy. So us in regenerative agriculture, we've been putting all this energy in, trying to invest something high time or low time preference where we're creating real deep value in a high time preference world. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's all of our energy is getting sucked away from us by the land being monetized, by all the broken incentives of the marketplace we're selling into and on and on and on. But when you can finally store your life force, your energy in something that enables you to also think in a long time preference, it enables you to bring that foundation to everything else in your life again. It, it, it completely reframes your whole context of what can be accomplished. Yeah, right. I, I totally agree. And, you know, I, in Tim, in your, one of your newsletters, you talked about, I think your dad always having that uh, perception or, or, or like kind of stance that soil is wealth. And that taking care of the soil, not maximizing yield is the most important thing to, to generate generational wealth. And of course, Joel, like you were saying, like when, when you exist in a fiat society, nobody's thinking that way. It's all about yield, right? How much can you pump out of it, you know, until there's nothing left to pump out of it. And I love this idea of treating the soil with the, the really the reverence it deserves as being the wellspring from which all else is supported, right? Including, you know, our life force. And then, and then the ability to store whatever excess life force you're able to generate that soil in something uh, that, that, that can contain that optimally, which is a money that's not debased or diluted. And, you, you know, and so it, it is true that, you know, all wealth really comes from the soil. And it's interesting. And I think it's great that now we're starting to treat it as such and like p- treating the soil as an asset, you know, treating the soil as something that you want to cultivate and hand down. I think it's super important. And I think it's amazing that because of the, 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 the stage and the emergence of Bitcoin that we're in that, you know, cause traditionally one of the knocks was like, well, yeah, regen ag is great, but it can't compete with these like, you know, super high yield mega farms or whatever. But it's like, well, that's probably I understand from you guys that in certain cases that's not even really true and if you can get the incentives and the different parties aligned then you can compete way more but you layer on top of that the fact that well if you're let's say you can't compete by a factor of three or whatever well if you're putting your proceeds whatever you do yield from the farming that you're doing into you know uh, the into bitcoin which is 
you know, emerging as global money. And in particular, this stage, you know, in the next 10 years, it's like prime time for Bitcoin's adoption, then that allows you to kind of like compete better with those those mega farms that have been subsidized and, and, and doing all these shady practices. And so it's a it's an amazing time for these things to emerge because Bitcoin not only is not only provides a tool for reframing everything and seeing things differently, but for actually competing against you know the incumbents and and helping kind of extricate from that uh, the system that we've we found ourselves in. You know, yeah, and I think one of the interesting things the, the parallels that I've really noticed in the last couple of months between regenerative agriculture and, and Bitcoin is, as I understand it, we're in Bitcoin. You're looking for the most kind of efficient source of energy to complete your proof of work. And that's gonna be, you know, leftover electricity on, a, on a, a grid or using what could be otherwise wasted. And what regenerative agriculture is really doing is, is capturing this um, energy that's either being wasted in the system or is just being spread back to the, um, the money printer, um, basically back to the top. And just as an example of that, like in the cattle industry, the price for every animal, every weight of, of animal is determined by the price of fats. And, the, and what fats are those, are, those are the animals that are ready to go to slaughter. Um, so the whole system is built on the, the price that the packers are willing to pay for fats. And there are what, four packers in the United States. They, they basically own a monopoly on the market. And so week by week, they, they determine that price. Um, so the original producer is capturing 35% of the value of that, that animal, right? It goes through this cycle, you know, a rancher will produce that calf. It'll be on his ranch for roughly six months. Typically it goes to a backgrounding feedlot, um, for another six months. Then it sometimes will come back to grass for a few months in the summer. And then it will go back to a, a finishing feedlot to be, to be finished out to around, you know, 1200 pounds or something. Um, but there's a lot of steps in that process in the, the fiat industrialized system. And every step along the way, basically, there is this, this energy transfer happening. Um, and essentially what regenerative agriculture is doing with, with direct marketing and keeping the cattle on the land is retaining all of that energy back to the land and essentially offering the customer at the end of it um, something that, that has used a lot less energy in the whole process. So it's, it's a more efficient kind of proof of work as it were, if, if I'm understanding that, that Bitcoin process of proof of work correctly. Um, and so not only is that a, a, you know, net positive for the environment in terms of, of kind of recapturing energy, um, it's allowing the initial producer to, to retain most of that energy rather than just cycling that energy back through to, to the, you know, the packers who are who are also lobbying the government for um for monopoly mm -hmm. so i got a question for you tim have um one are you familiar with the work of john kemp and advancing eco agriculture um yeah. two do you think it's possible with the regenerative or biodynamic farming system to exceed the actual yields or flows even in a short term than even your industrial producers using like chemical cropping currently? Um, I, I, the re I don't know. The reason that's a hard question to answer is because like we're, we're 
maybe we're at an inflection point where a lot of those synthetic inputs are, are currently working for a lot of those producers. Um, but over the next, you know, five to 20 years, you're going to see, we're going to see big problems. Would even work. Um, and, and I guess, you know, one of the things that, that John is doing is really creating uh, just an alternative to that. So somebody who, who has all the, the industrial. Can, can you do, can you describe John's system for people who aren't familiar with it? I think what Advanced and Eco kind of does is like their model that's making such incredible stuff possible. Yeah. So it's, it's basically stepping out and Joe, you described this once really well. So you might be able to kind of recap this, but it's basically stepping out of the industrial agricultural ecosystem. We're saying we need all these synthetic inputs and it's coming back to the biology in the soil and basically creating an environment where we can feed the biology and the microbiology in the soil that will then create the healthy enough environment to, to create plants that are healthy and that can still produce, um, produce food. So we can both cut our independence on say synthetic fertilizers, um, but also cut our dependence on the chemicals and, and the pesticides that are required to keep bugs off the plants. Yeah, so John's model, you're essentially with your inputs feeding both the soil and the plant, which not only increases your production in the short term, but it also makes you more resilient for the long term, even when these inputs by John's company of what he, his stuff he's doing to the foliar sprays, even when those inputs stop. Um, and their cost of input versus output increase that's possible in their system is pretty mind blowing. I think you can get with a couple of years doing their system, this would be one to actually get into a John's guys, but from what I've seen at a glance, their input numbers can get lower than what actually like chemical input guys are using and their output numbers of what they're getting out of it are higher while also having higher quality crops and deeper resilience for the long term too. It's wow. pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. You know, Alan Sherrington has been working on it. Go ahead, John. I'll circle back. Uh, I was just going to say that's huge. And then it, particularly like, like we've been saying, when you layer in the counterbalance that is Bitcoin, that, that gives you a cushion to kind of fight against whatever fiat fuckery those farms are able to avail of, you know? So e even if they're not sustainable long-term, it's like, yeah, well, how do you, how do you fight them right now? And, you know, I, Bitcoin is such a, a useful tool to even the playing field against, you know, subsidies and, you know, fiat practices and all that kind of stuff. And to hear that even, you know, to hear that you just from an operational point of view, you may be able to, you know, get close to competing even on their terms. And then you layer in Bitcoin. I mean, it's it's super exciting for what the, the future of this industry might become. Yeah, Alan Farrington has been working on a piece. I don't know if he's released it yet, so I'll try not to say too much about um, stock to flows. And he talks about it some in the regenerative agriculture world, where with the incentives of fiat, with this debt-based inflationary money, it causes us to have to think about maximizing flows at the expense of stock. Right. So you're always trying to extract more high time preference current yield and having to deprioritize stocks of potential energy being stored for production later, right? And in some of the ways that's been most painful is that it's actually stunted like science and research because all of our work in actually trying to learn 
has been put into how do we maximize flows. All the guys that have tried to maximize stocks of like building productive soil capacity through building quality soil, right? Or trying to figure out how to bring those into balance of maximizing flows and stock together like John Kemp. They've all kind of just been renegades on the outside who just can't get any traction. Because one of the things fiat does, right, is the soft money, you're chasing this dead hamster wheel. You don't have time to slow down and think. And so this kind of goes back to what Tim was saying. A lot of these farmers, if they had the time to look and take a look at John's model of what they're doing with advancing eco-agriculture, over a five, six-year time frame, maybe even quicker, maybe even three or four, I mean, it's competitive with what the industrial guys are doing. And it's so much better for the farmer. But in fiat world, there's no time to slow down. There's no time to think. There's no time to learn. Like when we're on a hard money world again with Bitcoin, it's going to bring us to a place of balance where when we study and learn and apply ourselves, we won't be trying to maximize monetary output of the yields to keep up the money printer. We'll be working on maximizing real yield of actual value produced, which is a place of equilibrium between stock and flows, where we take care of both in symbiosis, knowing that both matter. Yeah, I agree. And I, what you saying that made me think of something that I often feel, and Bitcoin has definitely helped with me, but it's like, it's a time anxiety, right? So if you're on the hamster wheel, you have time anxiety because there's so many, you, you know, you just got to keep going and going to keep your head above water. And what Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin allows you to reduce your time anxiety. And that opens up space for learning, for looking at things differently, for experimenting with things, for trying things differently, all that kind of stuff. And that is, I think that's a great point is that like part of the reason it's not that these people are bad people or whatever, but one, you know, they feel like if they take their foot off the gas, they're going to, you know, they're going to sink. Drown. Yeah. And there's just so much like conventional wisdom like this is how it's done and this this permeates every industry and so this is how it's always going to kind of be and if you don't have the time or resources to go out and kind of think and experiment and figure out how this might be done in a better way then you won't do it and, and so bitcoin is such a gift in that regard as well that it the, you know it allows you to you know expand that foundation of security that you have and that allows you to go off and explore and reduce your time anxiety and and, and figure out how to do things better you know, and the other thing, which hopefully will change as a result of this sovereign individual thesis playing out of, of smaller governments is, I'm sure I don't have to tell you, in fact, I got most of my information on this from you guys, but like, there's so much regulatory fuckery. Like, Tim, I was reading one of your things and you're in the point you just made where uh, because of, you know, the packing monopolies and how it's sold, like the producer only keeps 35% of, of the sale or whatever it is. It's like, why, why couldn't you have small farms that sell direct to consumer, throw up a website in your, and you, you service people in your community or your state or whatever it is, and you get to keep like 95% or whatever it is of, of the food you produce. And the only reason why I presume that's not, hap- that's not happening is because regulations get in the way, you know? So here's another example to your point, Joel, of, you know, as you say, what the capital stock, whether that's soil or whether that's money or whatever, the fiat system degrades the capital stock and it does that through consistent persistent malinvestment so when you know and malinvestment leads to instead of expanding the capital stock it leads to degradation and, and uh, of the capital stock and there's many examples I, I think you could see that played out in many examples but soil and money are definitely two of them and so when we can when we can get government out of the way and when we can use a money that 
allows us to uh, communicate value properly and make economic calculation and therefore make investment in a more optimized way, then we stop destroying capital stock, be it soil or money or otherwise, and we actually start growing capital stock. And of course, that means more prosperity and abundance for everybody. Right. And, it, and it, on top of that, John, it's also very destructive to any sovereign individual that's trying to live in the world right now. Um, like as an example of that, where I grew up in Saskatchewan, um, there- You grew up in Saskatchewan? Yeah. yeah. Are you Canadian? Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, dual, dual citizen. So, yeah. But farmland out there. So my dad has been farming his whole life, but he, he bought a farm out in Saskatchewan uh, when I was about seven. And we moved out there and we probably bought land for 30,000 for a quarter section. A quarter section is 160 acres. So it's not very, that comes out to like 180 bucks an acre or something. Not very much. Mm -hmm. um, not 15 years later, guys were, farmers were selling their farmland, a quarter section for 90 to $120,000 to investment guys out of, out of Toronto. And it was all of a sudden, like these guys felt like they were getting a big break, right? They're, they're selling off their farmland um, to these in investors who are obviously trying to escape, you know, fiat money degradation by, by parking their money in land. But what would happen was, you know, a couple of negative things. Those guys would then just turn into tenant farmers because they, they're still farming the land. They're still farming the land that grandpa settled or great grandpa settled, but it's not their land anymore. They have no sovereignty over that land. Um, and then the second thing is they all of a sudden have this huge influx of cash. And what do they do? Because they're in the system. They go and buy brand new farm machinery that's depreciating. Spend a couple million dollars on brand new farm machinery that goes back to, you know, John Deere headquarters or Case IH headquarters or whatever completely, you know, pulling all of that money out of the local communities and, and just going back into Fiat headquarters, if that's just kind of what you want to call it. Um, with the idea of decentralization and, and say, if there was a, going back to the idea for, for cattle and regenerative farming, if there was a small butcher in every single farm, every single town, um, we would keep all of that potentially wasted energy in the local community, right? You can, you can produce it here, you can butcher it here, and you can sell it here. And all of a sudden, we're, we're investing again in where we are and in our communities and where we want our families to live. Um, I think that was a great point that on your, your podcast with the guys in El Salvador, the shift in their mindset when they decided to stay instead of trying to you know, leave, they started investing in their community, they started building where they were. Um, and that makes such a huge difference in creating sovereignty where we are. This is also a point you make, and this ties into everything Joel is doing and, and Bitcoin is looking for citadels and the, the future foundations of civilization. So let's go there because I think it's super interesting. But this is, you mentioned this in, in some of your writing regarding the archaic Greek period, right? Where, you know, the, apparently according to what you've written, you know, the, the, the original Greeks, you know, the kind of the foundation of that great civilization was people who owned the land and farmed the land and, and therefore really cared for it and wanted to defend it properly and, and, and a rich culture and civilization arose around it. And I think you could probably, um, there's probably examples of how this got unwound, whether it's in the Greek or the Roman or many other places, but when it started to shift 
for from from kind of decentralized land ownership and stewardship to more centralized land ownership and then just hiring people to work the land that's when you found things starting to kind of fall apart when the pressures on getting more out of land were increased when the, the care for the land decreased when people that were living and working on the land and part of the civilization had less vested interest in the success and flourishing of that civilization and then you see degradation and ultimately collapse you know so it's really interesting how the the relationship of the individual to the land has so much to do with like how civilization flourishes right yeah and i think that it really ties in for me it ties into you know what i believe that we're we're called to to steward the earth you know god created the world and we are to co-create after him sub-create basically and steward what's around us and so we look out and we see things and we we want to build things and that all starts with the foundation of well we have to have security where we are so we need to steward the land where we are and make sure that for our children's children we have um a place to live we have a heritage to give them that they can continue to build on i i love what tim is talking about about wasted energy because so like when you're stewarding something you're trying to steward it well money is supposed to be a tool through which we communicate with each other both about what we desire to do and who has the most efficient ability to do it well that's what money is supposed to do it's supposed to like synthesize language of our ability to communicate of desires and wants needs but also it synthesizes kind of the technology of fire like the ability of humanity to harvest energy and communicate a distributed manner across time and space of who can most efficiently efficiently accomplish that desire but like like uh like like you look at the cattle markets we're talking about where tim's talking about if you had a butcher at every farm you'd keep that energy in the local community like why do we have a money that's causing something that's wasteful, right? The whole point of money is to increase efficiency because it's communication about desire and energy efficiency of who can do it best. Well, in fiat world, the most efficient thing is to be closer to the money printer. Actual value creation is not in balance weighted to what it should be. It's not about what's most efficient in actual practice. It's about what's most efficient in a broken monetary regime of getting bigger and bigger to have this giant corporate scale to cozy up the contillionaires. So it's giving you efficiency, but efficiency for the wrong fucking metric. It's the metric of how do you be efficient with the monetary and governmental state powers versus how do you be efficient to protect the energy of the life force going into actual production? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree entirely. I've never thought about that before. That Tim just sparked that whole thought for me. That was a new one. That's cool. But being able to being able to preserve that, I guess, I mean, that was Joel. That was kind of the, it's funny that this is coming full circle again because that idea kind of came from you with building off of the idea that we we have this hard asset and it's hard money that we can act that is deflationary over time, and now we can actually build something that preserve obviously preserves our present value and and allows us to use that in the future now all of a sudden also i'm incentivized to not just produce enough to kind of you know fill my my needs and kind of desires today i i'm i'm now going from an idea of okay i just need to figure out how to produce just to 
to cover these wants and desires, but I'm going to meet a bare minimum standard, but I want to produce excess because now I can store that excess energy and, and either use it down the road if the situation arises that I need it, or that's stored there for generations for my family. So it changes, like the interesting thing for Bitcoin and for me and Bitcoin is when you lower your time preference, as I'm basically learning to do, um, it, it's, it's a couple of things. It makes me feel um, a little bit more relaxed about the future because if I'm doing the right things now, um, I know that, that I can look out into the future and have optimism about it. But it also creates this desire to build today to, to take the energy that's around me, to harness it most efficiently um, and to you know, increase the value that I'm providing to the world so that I can create excess to, to store for the future. And this is where Keynesian economics is so wrong, right? Because they say without inflationary money, and especially on a deflationary standard, you break production where no production will be happening. But it's just wrong because they forget that when we as humans have our ability to protect and preserve for those we love our productive value, we don't stop producing. We do the opposite. We say, how do I produce more so I can have more energy to share with those I love of potential production or things that they can use to go make the world a better place how they see fit. Right. And, and I think also tying this into just kind of an environmental idea of, you know, when we, when we harness energy, and we produce it to make something good for the future. Well, in any kind of harnessing energy, there is some kind of byproduct. And what we probably think of that now is, is pollution, right? You, you, you put gas in a car, um, there's a transfer of energy from gasoline to motion, and there's the byproduct is, is pollution. Um, but as we are working to become more efficient at producing energy and get better at the, creating those systems that transfer, transfer energy to the future better, our pollution will essentially continue to go down um, because we are like going back to the example of, of the fiat, basically cattle marketing system. There's so much quote unquote pollution in that system because energy is being transferred from so many buyers to sellers, buyers to sellers in that whole market. And as we um, kind of lower our time preference, say get back to the land, and basically create more localized markets, we are decreasing the amount of energy byproduct that is going off of all of the work that we're doing and um, making it more efficient. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that's, I feel like I haven't developed that idea fully, but, but that's, that's something I've been kind of percolating on um, a last little while. Yeah, and, and it's not localism as a religion of saying we should be local because we just should be. Right. It's localism because localism is what's most efficient and you're no longer extracting energy to cozying up to cantillionaires because you have to satisfy them robbing you. Yes. It's not like you have to be part of the rent seeking system to maintain monetary efficiency. Right. You get to just say what's most efficient for actual energy and production of the people and things I care about. And, and because, um, because you're, you're incentivized based on your production you want to create and find the most efficient energy source, just like proof of work, you wanna find the energy that's otherwise being wasted. And so you're looking for ways to, to find wasted energy that's not getting pushed off as a byproduct in pollution, but to capture that 
and reuse it. And Joel, I think you, you talked about this before too, with like biochar stuff, like all of these are just like examples of ways that we can take things that are otherwise being wasted, um, trees and foliage into, into landfills and using them to create a fuel, um, to mine Bitcoin and do lots of other things as well as a, a additional byproduct that can, that can further regenerate the land with the biochar. So, yeah, I mean, cause, deep. cause Bitcoin finally connects monetary value to energy itself in a direct relationship. Cause everything in life is energy. I mean, you think about cattle and meat, right? Like the value of a cattle is the fact is calories. That is energy, energy to sustain life. In our fiat world, everything's about converting something into electrical energy. And then like, like it's just the mindset still corrupted by all these broken incentives with you can get into the malaise of any place that becomes a contillionaire thing again. Right. But in a hard money standard where Bitcoin puts a price on wasted energy, it gets expensive to waste energy. And one of the things in my opinion, that's going to change is useless energy conversions of trying to convert everything into electrical or everything into this or that like you're talking about transportation costs because it's like the contillionaire system's more efficient to drive cattle in a trailer four times versus leave them on the farm right so like in a hard money bitcoin world we will raise things whether you're talking cattle or whatever type of other place we're expending our creative life force and keep them in the energy that the market most wants with the least amount of conversions between energy forms so that there's the least amount of waste possible because wasting energy is now expensive. And, and that goes to the whole proof of work thing, which is so cool, which I don't really want to really want to get into too much yet, but like Bitcoin drives up the cost of wasted energy for places like industrial, like modern world. Right. But it also unlocks untapped energy resources in the undeveloped world. So it increases energy access to people who the energy first world is exploiting them by extracting resources because they don't have energy leverage to compete. So it makes energy cheaper and more available to those people while making energy more expensive to us to force us to be more efficient. It'll move society from like a yeast base where like it's all consumption, consumption, consumption until there's no food left, then it pops, you know, and everything collapses to more of like this symbiotic kind of fungal network where we share and spread resources among each other efficiently. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting to think of on the point of everything is energy, how it seems to be like what we do as humans is we, we try to increase the utility of the energy sources that we interact with. Right. So like if you consider soil being a very rudimentary form of energy, you know, combined with the sun, and then it creates plants and that's kind of like a more complex form of energy because the optionality of it is 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 broader we can use plants to fuel ourselves and then once that energy goes through our system well then it it becomes like exponentially more useful because we have minds to connect to that energy that then can then do a great many things with that energy and then it's almost like the the uh you know, the pinnacle of refining the utility of energy is money, you know, in, in a philosophical sense, that's what money is, because we kind of this, this unwritten agreement that money is going to be the thing that we are all allowed to direct our will and to access our, in, our ingenuity, etc. So it's almost like, you know, the, the process of, of humans interaction with energy is trying to enhance the optionality 
uh, of the energy sources that we have and all the way up the scale until you have money, you know, and it's really interesting to consider when, you know, all the way back to the beginnings of civilization, when, when farm, when agriculture first began, right, when we first started to have stationary capital, and of course, stationary capital necessitated basically governance of the type that we have today, right? When you're hunters and gatherers, you're taking everything with you. There's not much to steal from the tribe over there. There's not much to protect. The, the, the governance structures are more flat. But when you have stationary capital and you, when you start to accumulate surplus, well, then you're like, well, I have something to protect. It's easier to protect something if we stay stationary and we build you know, walls around it. And then who's going to administer the walls? It's going to be the kings, Which- et cetera which Bitcoin changes. <laughs> well, this, this is what I'm saying, yeah. right? So the story of civilization is like, back to the point about civilization being determined by kind of who has the best soils, because, well, if you have the best soil, you have the most food, you can feed the most uh, soldiers, you can have the most complex economy, you can have the best weapons, you can go to other people and you can steal the concentrated forms of energy that they've created, i.e. that same process that they've gone through through their own culture of taking energy and, and refining it in whatever way, it's always been stored in gold or silver or you know, things that can that increase the time, in, increase the time dimension of, of energy effectively. You could always go and if your if your system of refining energy was better than your neighbors, you could go and steal. The, their system of refining energy and the and the products of their refining of energy, and so this was, this is kind of how we wind wind up in the state of the world and the, the structure of governance that we have today. And now, Joel, to your point, we have this thing where it's the, it, it's the pinnacle of energy refinement, but it can't easily be stolen, right? It's not a honeypot there to take. It's, it's distributed. It's distributed. It's everywhere and nowhere. It's, you know, of course you can get it. You put a gun to somebody's head and you say, Hey, you know, do you want to die or do you want to give it up? And, you know, but that's a far different scenario than, you know, this King knowing that that King has his gold stored, you know, in that pyramid over there. And all we got to do is, is, you know, beat them and we can take it, you know? So there's an incentive there to just kill that King and take his gold. You don't need his participation. And, and so I, I don't really have a point here, but it's interesting to speculate if it's true that like all we ever do is, is take sources of energy and try to refine them to expand their utility for our, our purposes. And money is basically the, the pinnacle of that, that process of refinement. What does it mean now that uh, it's in a form that's basically not able to be, you know, confiscated? It's, it's, it's nowhere. I mean, what, I think that has a lot of implications, not just for like structure of governance and society and stuff, but it's really interesting to think of it in those terms, you know? Yeah, because now defense just comes down to will because violence could no longer just override will anymore. So you take what you were saying about the flatter society pre-capital stock. Now you have capital stock, but society flattens back down again because you can't take it with violence. It can be easily defended as long as you're willing to just say no. I mean, yeah. at the cost of your life, but if enough people do that, it's like a mutually assured destruction system that disincentivizes violence. So now we have the best of both worlds. We had that flatter, more family-based tribal society back pre-capital stock, but now we also have the capacity to think long-term of capital stock investment. It's like takes the best of all those worlds and brings it into the epitome of what it can be now. Yeah. And, and, you know, like jacking someone for their plot of productive land, you know, if they have a few cows or whatever, is a far less 
you know, the, the, re the returns to doing that is, is so low that you probably won't see it happen because there's still the question like, well, OK, my my surplus capital is in the Bitcoin world. But what about my actual physical capital, my productive land? It's like, well, how many people are going to make the calculation that it's worth them taking the risk of their own life or whatever penalties they might accrue to them by taking your land when they're not getting something that's like tremendously valuable, right? This is why I think, you know, kings always went after the gold and countries always went after the gold because that's, that's, yep. that's decades, if not centuries of surplus capital versus a piece of land, which is just kind of here and now capital. So I, I, it's really interesting to see how, how that dynamic will play out. Tim, you had, you had something you want to say? Well, just the one thought on that was as there, your, your capital is more secure now in Bitcoin, right? You don't have a pile of gold that you have to defend. So your cost of defense diminishes or decreases. Um, therefore, the energy you're, you're allocating to defense is decreasing. You can turn around and your incentive in that environment then is to, is to produce more. And so it really does create this, this world where we can focus on production, um, focus on adding value to everyone else around us, rather than, you know, obviously the bureaucracy that we see with, uh, I think of what we're facing right now in agriculture with ESG kind of stuff coming down and, and companies just wanting to kind of capture a piece of an, an imaginary carbon credit uh, puzzle that they see there that adds no value to anyone. Um, and as a virtue signaling, all of that wasted energy in, in the work that they're doing that could be, that could be focused on something, doing something productive. Um, so as soon as I'm not focused on you know, looking after my store of gold because it's now secured in Bitcoin, I can now just focus on adding value so that I can create more for myself and my family. That's a beautiful point. Yeah, I mean, just the, the ability for Bitcoin to release energy everywhere else, right? You know, obviously it takes energy for Bitcoin to exist and perpetuate itself, but the energy efficiencies or the release of energy, Tim, that I think you're, you're, you're kind of referring to that it will facilitate elsewhere and the flourishing that will, will stem from all of that. I mean, it's kind of mind blowing just to think about all the areas that that, that energy will be released from and what we can do with that additional surplus energy. Right. Because if we really, at the end of the day, if the true value that we can produce is, John, as you said, is we've got this, you know, this intellect that's kind of the, the pinnacle of, you know, um, what, we can, what we can offer, that's the ingenuity that is really, that we can really provide value to. And, and that human ingenuity is that one factor that I really feel like in, in this fiat system that we're living in is stifled so much because yeah. we're so focused on getting close to, to the source of the money um, in that or, or you're so oppressed by the circumstance yeah. of the fiat system that it puts you in, right? I, Joel and I have talked about this a bunch, but it's like when all you're concerned about is paying off your debts and your mortgage payment, your car payment, and you know, your job that you hate and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the, the room for your intellect to flourish and for, you know, your curiosity and your intellect and all or those your things. Heart. To, yeah, exactly. To, to combine, to generate novel thoughts and insights and wisdom and ideas is tremendously suppressed because you're, 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 you're cracking, you're crumbling under the pressure of the stress of just maintaining yourself, perpetuating your own self in this system. Right. And so when that can be relieved and that, that pressure can be reduced or, 
in, in some cases completely removed, like what does bubble up to the surface? What does that intellect and that heart and that curiosity have within it? I mean, and the, the, you know, again, this is part of the story of civilization too. I mean, our, our ability to interact with our environment to create novelty is seemingly limitless. The only, the only limiting factor is us, you know? So if we can, if we can open the reducing valve through something like Bitcoin that, that throws off the shackles of, of what the fiat system imposes on us, then, you know, what do we get? Well, we get people that dream bigger and that have greater ideas and have the, the, the time and the ability to actually apply themselves to do that. And what is that? That's, you know, back to the energy example, that's just being able to do more with energy, the, 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 the ability of human beings and human intellect and heart and all that stuff to refine energy even more so and, and amplify the complexity and usefulness of energy in all of its rudimentary forms or from all of its rudimentary forms. I freaking love it. I mean, because <laughs> that, that's how we grow the size of the pie to make the world better for everybody. Like, like Tim said it so well, like that place where we have a chance to ascend into being all we have it in us to be, where we can get out of that malaise and that oppression and off that hamster wheel to apply our heart, to apply our intellect, to bring our best self forward. That's where we can demonstrate that character, the divine in us the most strongly. We could ascend into co-creating of adding value to the world in the way that we're best gifted to do so to make the world a better place for all. Mm -hmm. It's like Bitcoin enables the emergence and awakening of the sons of God. I, like, I have no other better way to say it. <laughs> it's, I couldn't agree more. You know, it's, it sounds far out, but I think you know, uh, the, the hardcore Bitcoiners will, will feel that, you know, they'll see when, when you take off all the, the conditioning and the obligations and the impositions that this fiat system imposes on you, what's left? Well, what's left is who you really are. And most of us haven't had a lot of time or opportunity to actually investigate that or, or, or allow that to come through. But Bitcoin is providing the opportunity for that to happen. And as you say, like, well, what happens when that happens? Well, you know, ultimately the divine in you comes through, however you choose to express that and apply that. But, right. you know, it's, it's, and, it's but, it's, but it's not just some crazy woo woo either. Like I know I'm not, I with, totally agree with a, with a hard money standard, like Bitcoin opportunity cost is brutal because now you're solving for actual value creation again. And if what you're doing is not bringing your, cause like my sage always, I love how he says this. He says, how do you know when you're living inside of your true guests? It's when you're doing really big things with very little effort. And if you're not stepping into your true being to really create that value that the world needs, you get punished brutally by it. Because Bitcoin teaches you that there's an objective truth outside of you again. And if you're arrogant and think that you can kind of build a little tower of Babel and mechanistically control the world to make it do everything you want versus respecting the emergence of the co-creating of the other tellers of the story around you, like, like even the soil itself and the biology and the different little parts and pieces that I do my role and allow them to do theirs. And we collaborate, right? Like truth is inherently collaborative. And if we try to dominate it, we don't succeed anymore. Mm -hmm. So Bitcoin not only is awakening that opportunity for us to ascend into mastery, but it's also humbling us to realize our place in the actual natural order of things again. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my you, truth is the best corrective feedback, right? So it, that's why and real humbles. friction versus money printing, which you exactly. just can ignore it. 
That's that's why it it's humbles like you. And you and you got to be grateful for that because as you said, it that's what allows you to find continue to refine and find truth is that 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 corrective feedback. And if and if your ego is too fragile to subject yourself to that, well then you won't find truth and you won't ascend to, you know, what you might be. So yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, that that's that that's the other side of the sword of truth, but it, it's a beautiful thing. So beautiful. Tim, Tim, you had something, buddy? Well, I was just thinking, you know, there's there's kind of a pattern of this in history. And um, the Roman Catholic Church really had a obviously had a monopoly on power. I think that I'm at the point in the sovereign individual where he talks a little bit about this. Um, but when Martin Luther came along and at the Protestant Reformation, one of his huge contributions was saying that the common man in his common everyday tasks is just as valuable to God as the priest or the monk. The Roman Catholic Church basically was, was saying, hey, if you're closer in this intellectual way um, in these particular callings, that is a, say, higher calling. Um, and what <laughs> so, Martin Luther so did- So re religious contillionaires. <laughs> essentially and what martin luther did with both translating the bible out of latin giving people access you know to god's word but also telling them you can be a butcher and a baker and a carpenter and that is god's calling on your life and you can serve and do well there and bring tremendous value to others um and that comes back to this idea of human flourishing right when when we can now focus on the production of where we are and our place and our people and our calling um, now all of a sudden we are generating and, and, and giving back and, and providing this tremendous value to the world around us because we're in alignment with basically who we're created to be. And we can really allow that mastery and that genuine creativity to flow um, and build phenomenal things, just like what Joel is doing. Yeah. Amen. What, uh, just to bring it back down to earth for, uh, for a second, but like what uh, Tim, do you think of what Joel is actually doing? And, and Joel, I'd love an update from your side too, because, uh, I, you know, all this talk about what this can establish, I think a lot of us are like, well, let's get busy, you know, working on it. So I'd love to hear an, an update from, from but, you, Joel. But before we hand it off to Tim on that, I'd like to cover one more piece on this. Sure. So not only are you enabling human flourishing at a micro scale of the smaller family unit to your incentives of a farm or whatever, or like a small business or a community, but like we were talking about malinvestment is what fiat creates because of the whole needing to get closer to the money printer, right? So like a little stupid example of things that'll fix, it'll fix flourishing at a large scale of correcting systems to make us better hear the information and money of desire and efficiency again, right? Um, like in our cattle market, we had subsidies on corn and soy. So corn and soy became really cheap. So we bred a whole cattle market around how do we have these animals with genetics that are suited to fatten up really quickly on being fed corn and soy because that was the cheapest input we had access to. That entire thing was a distortion based upon money printing of money that had no energy cost to make it seem like there was an artificial energy efficiency in the production of corn and soy. Right. So it creates miscommunication of who can most efficiently capture and produce and translate that energy into the things humans need to meet their needs. When we go back to a money that's grounded on energy again through proof of work, you won't have that arbitrary energy misinformation happening anymore. That will cause you to make better decisions at a macro scale as well 
of not chasing things that seem efficient but are actually completely based on deception. It grounds truth into the communication framework of economies as a whole. Yeah, I love that. You know, it, it, I mean, what do you think about that one, Tim? Well, right, go ahead, John. Yeah, John, you go. Go. Tim, you, you go. You go. I'm, I I'm, form, thinking, I'm forming thoughts. Yeah, I don't know if I have something specific to add to that, um, Joel, but I think that something that came to mind there was in that proof of work idea is, is inherently the idea of responsibility. Because so I have, you know, again, if I'm understanding proof of work correctly, I am, I am uh, expanding, expending energy to um, complete a difficult task that is easily verified by others, whether it's correct or not. And, and the incentive is that I'm getting something on the other end of that. And so I'm taking responsibility for that work. And and that 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 responsibility and that personal property over that work, I feel like has a has a big component in um, the way that the way that we're going to build things. Hugely, yeah, yeah. But Joel, you know, I I love how you frame that there, and it's just again the emergence of this idea that you know propagating truth is the best form of order, right? That's the the you're, you're never going to have perfection. There's no utopia. We all know that. But the, the best possible order is constructed via the propagation of the, 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 the best or the, the most truth, right? And, and so whether and to invoke like the energy component of that, I think is so great. And to see how energy shifts and moves and is refined, uh, you know, by individuals and in societies and economies and how it's influenced by the form of like the vector, how truthful the vector that carries it is and how people then respond and what kind of order is established as a result of that. And as you say, you know, it's such a bait and switch. It's like a sleight of hand to say, oh yeah, you know, these, uh, we're, there's, a, there's an energy saving, there's a cost saving here with corn and soy and stuff. It's like, no, you're just paying it elsewhere. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and the fact that you're you're misinterpreting where you're paying it is causing a, a lesser form of order to be established. Right. Lesser congruent, less um, less maintainable, less productive, less generative to useful and refined energy that can uh, meet the needs or the ambitions of, of all of us. You know, mm -hmm. so, again, it comes back to that point where Bitcoin is is a method of propagating truth. And that's what we need if we intend to establish the best possible order in our lives and emergently as, as culture and as cultures and economies as well. Like that's what will generate the best possible order. It's, it's, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. Cause it causes us to co-create in partnership with logos, with ultimate truth as larger than us, whether we can see it or not, that's pure mm -hmm. communication and our information inputs of truth itself rather than our current system we co-create with deception and entropy, not yeah. realizing that even under desire to create order, we're actually serving the wrong, the wrong, the wrong entity. That's exactly fucking it. Can you say that again? I don't even know what I said. <laughs> so we, we are co-creating with truth and propagating order because we're getting clear signals. So when we add our life force to it, we're magnifying the reach and penetration of that truth. Versus currently, we accidentally propagate entropy because we're 
co-creating with deception because we are currently deceived, not knowing our information inputs are wrong. Yeah. Fucking nailed it, dude. Nailed it. Yeah. And, and I think just to try to tie in what I was trying to say about responsibility and that, like the people that are um, creating the misinformation and the deception in the system have no responsibility over the outcome, um, which, which is why it's, it's, I guess it's just so hard to, you know, both describe it and to pin it on anyone um, and why it's so easy to carry on because no one has to take responsibility. They can just keep doing it and uh, blaming the system, which allows them to uh, build the system bigger to, you know, fix the problem that they created. When if we were just to be able to take responsibility for the outcomes, it's, it's a feedback loop that now we can adjust what we're doing and, uh, and make it better. Yeah. You know, yeah, this- it brings in, it brings into alignment, responsibility and accountability. The person bearing the responsibility is the one accountable for the outcomes of it versus yeah. in our system. Now it's completely broken where I'm accountable for them blowing their responsibilities with their governance models. Right. Yeah. You know, deception necessitates and generates more deception and truth necessitates and generates more truth. You know, it's like the cosmic eternal battle sort of thing. And, you know, it's playing out on this scale right now mm-hmm. and we're fucking going to win this shit. So it's, uh, it's amazing to see, but I do want to hear uh, Tim's kind of input on what Joel's doing and Joel, like we haven't talked, I guess, well, we haven't done a pod about this stuff since April or whatever it was. So like, and we spoke a bunch of Miami, but where are things at with you? Because I know, uh, your spot got kind of blown up uh, as a result of, of the pods and all the interest in what you're doing. And I think everyone would be interested in an update on, on where things are at. We might maybe should just record one about that later. I can give a really brief one, <laughs> sure, but like sure. things have evolved to like, it's exactly true to what we originally talked about, but it's evolved into being like, cause originally I said cattle come first, everything else comes next. I've, I've refined what we're doing a lot since we talked but that's uh, there's a lot of pieces in that we'd have to talk about. But go ahead, Tim, talking stick yours. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, this is so huge, but what Joel is doing right now, because um, it's at a kind of a, I don't want to say it's like a crisis because everything is a crisis these days um, to the left, but we're, we're at a kind of an inflection point where um, we've got all of this farmland that is owned primarily by um, baby boomers, guys that are, you know, 60 to, to 75 years old. And that 65% of that land is going to be transferred in ownership over the next, you know, five to, to 15 years. And as we're seeing it now, we've got, you know, Bill Gates and China and these, these investment corporations buying up this land. And it's kind of a terrifying proposition because they're just going to keep turning Americans, Canadians, uh, people all over the world, and it's tenant, tenant farmers, going to be rent seeking and they're going to try to perpetuate this system further and further so you know what joel is doing is absolutely massive because if he can uh, match these low time preference investors guys that are willing to purchase the land and not see a a month over month cash flow on it um, and get it into the hands of people that are regenerating it it's 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 a huge it's basically creates a huge network effect because not only are we getting property back into the the hands of of private individuals um, we're also fortifying our you know food system as as Joel has talked about um, so I'm super bullish on what he's doing and uh, and it was it's crazy to me that 
you know, this was one of the mind blowing things to me coming into Bitcoin that there would actually be investors interested in that with, with a low time preference mindset, willing and interested in that and thinking that, hey, this is a great investment. We've got so much interest. I had so many people coming up and grabbing me in Miami asking me like, hey, can you be like not just guys wanting to do one on one deals, but guys like, hey, can you build me a fund so I can put millions in? Because yeah. like we're currently in this world where you have this Marxist ideology where everybody is giving up present monetary gains to bind to this ESG narrative. And this ESG narrative is all built on lies, as we can probably we probably should do another podcast with John and Tim where we get into the whole environmentalism stuff. We're going to run out of time on this one. <laughs> um, but the reason they do it is because it causes you you get to cozy up to the power structures of those that control the regulatory frameworks and the money printer. Right. So in a sense, investment now is based less upon efficiency of monetary returns, which is supposed to be what money does, right? It communicates information effectively. It's now based upon politics. It's based upon getting power and they actually are foregoing monetary gains for the sake of gaining more power. And they're cozying up to the current state powers, which we know as Bitcoiners, based on the sovereign individual thesis we were just talking about, are on their decline of losing power. So the thesis of what I'm building is let's get in front of where the world's going and stand in the right place. That way we're ready for it when it changes. Mm -hmm. And not only does that make us successful, but it's also going to make us wealthy. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the investors talking to me get that. So John, to answer your question, the deeper I got into building this whole nonprofit, doing the peer-to-peer -peer matchmaking and all this stuff, I realized two things. I realized one, everything is so fucking broken that to try to fix anything at scale like one or two farms, no big deal. You can kind of route around problems. But if I'm trying to build like dozens or a hundred or so, like the Bitcoiners want me to do, I mean, my applicant pool, I'm getting probably somewhere between two to four applicants every single day. And I have been for the last <laughs> six months. Um, investors, land stewards, everything. People wanting That's to awesome. buy herd shares. Yeah, it's so like that, that amount of people, if I do to do this on my own, that's years worth of inflow. So one of the things I've done is I've recruited a lot of incredible guys. Um, I've got a really strong team around me now. The shenanigans that just happened, just it ossified my team. We're more competent. We got better people that came into us. We're the real core team I had originally is stronger, more bought in. Um, everything just improved. It just nice. tempered us in a beautiful way. Um, so I brought in a bunch of guys to help me, but to go faster. And we're building out an entire network of organizations and companies to not just do this, because we, we're all kind of approaching this as a business mindset. But if you look at the WEF agenda and the Davos group and the ESG guys, this ain't business to them. It's war. They're trying to institute this global AI communism type thing, pushing this Marxist agenda. And they're convincing everybody to forego monetary returns because they want to get close to having a monopolistic advantage in the next long cycle, right? And none of the people in the freedom world have a cohesive strategy to stop it. And so like, we have all these people who have money who are willing to do the same thing. Like, okay, this isn't business anymore. This is war. Let's forego monetary returns and make sure we just fucking win this thing. And so I'm building a whole organization with multiple companies, multiple people that have stepped in with me the last couple months 
that's essentially <laughs> we're, we're going to be the anti-Davos group and it starts with soil and cattle, but there's a whole lot of other stuff. And I've got enough quality Bitcoiners who have come out the woodworks that we're going to be able to pull it off. I, I, I feel like I, I want more details, but I don't know if you're willing to give them up because I only vaguely understand what you just said. You know, like, so, we'll, so is, is the cattle co-op thing not going to be a business and it's going to be some like nonprofit, like politically motivated group or like, what are you saying here? So we'll have the nonprofit that focuses on education on regenerative agriculture. That'll also do some of the peer-to-peer matchmaking of like the investors who want to have getaway properties and then the people who want to get away in homestead, just like the whole original model was. Right. Um, I'm building a for-profit company around it. That's going to be like a drop shipping and service company that'll help do a lot of the things you need to build the citadels. That'll kind of pump just sustainable cash flows into the nonprofit to sustain kind of these, because a lot of these homesteaders are going to be younger people who got caught with fiat of not catch keeping up with the asset inflation curve. Right. So like they can't pay to go to education and like to be working with me. Right. Like a lot of the regenerative agriculture schools for the little seminars are pretty expensive. Um, so that'll make it possible to work with people who have the right heart for long time preference building, but can't afford to do it. And then we're building, I don't even know what to call this yet. Um, it's going to be essentially a house of funds, but I don't even know if we're going to structure them as funds. It might be like a special purpose vehicle of some sort. Um, we're currently leaning towards like a network of LLCs. Um, and they're going to invest in a series of strategies over the next 10 years. That's completely the antithesis of what the WEF and the uh, Davos groups are up to. It starts with getting sovereignty over the soil and food chain back into Bitcoiners hands. But after that, we're going to go after things like uh, energy independence um, and eventually like centrist resistant supply chains and small business networks and stuff. Um, there's, there's a cohesive strategy. And that was always the goal too. Like people thinking like, don't spread yourself too thin or you won't pull off the ranching. Like cattle come first, everything else comes next. Like, my mission statement from day one has been emerged citadels. I finally have enough good people around me to pull it off. Right. Damn, that's exciting, dude. So what, 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 I mean, for people listening that are equally excited, like what should they be doing vis-a-vis engaging you? Uh, just doing what we're currently doing. I'm not going to like share too much information about the later stages because no, if you're I looking mean, at the timelines, is there any sense in them be getting put on a list? Like, you know, for anything with you, like how should. Yeah. So I've got the application portal on the website. Um, people can feel free to apply as NIMS too. like use a proton mail and not dox yourself. Yeah. The WordPress and all that is um, obviously something that's open, but when it hits my system and I'm, I'm moving it over to something that's end-to-end encrypted. And then when we get to talking to each other, you don't have to have information leak. So I'm working on trying, because knowing we're at the emergence of the Citadels, our information systems is really important. We're doing all of our communications on matrix servers and like, we're paying attention. Um, <laughs> nice. So if people want to be a part, you can put in some, your application on the website. There's a box you can check for just, I want to volunteer. Here's my skills. Um, you can give donations to the nonprofit. We've already got that application in process for the educational of the regenerative agriculture nonprofit. 
once we get approved, those can all backdate, which could be good to offset capital gains in Bitcoin. Um, the rest is just what the plebs have been doing, man. Have my six. I'm really at the tip of the spear here leaning forward, and there's going to be times I need you guys. I mean, whether that means now, because like I'm relying on building with honor rather than trying to build with like focusing on winning contractual engagements with state authorities or whatever, right? Like uh, there's a difference and we're, we're straddling two worlds, right? Um, and then one day I might have to go on the run because I've been the face of all this and I'll need you guys to cover me then. <laughs> but, uh, but in the meantime, man, just stick hearts together as brothers, keep advancing the truth about Bitcoin, protecting the monetary layer. And I'll do what I'm doing here to kind of all advance it together. Well, I'm sure you will have the support of your brothers in arms if and when necessary, as recent events, I think, revealed on, albeit a small scale. But I think everybody appreciates the work you're doing and everyone's super excited to, uh, to be a part of it in some way, even if just for their own, you know, their own little family citadel or what. But like I said, right at the beginning, a lot of people are, are interested in this uh, way of life and this solution to counterbalance the, the madness that's seemingly everywhere today. So I know everyone is basically saying like, hurry up, you know, we want to, we want to, we want to see this uh, solution in action and, and be a part of it. So I know, I know you're doing yeah. your best and we'll have stuff to release about some of these bigger pieces soon. Um, I've got a lot of good guys working on it. We're refining the pieces and kind of working with some of the initial investors to really get to where we're happy. Yeah. Um, but eventually we'll be sure with the community more of what we're building. Nice. Well, gents, I know uh, you both have some other obligations and some calls and stuff to get to. So uh, unless you want to crack into anything else, we, we'll shut it here and put a pin in it for another time. You got anything, Tim? I don't know. I'm all talking. I, I was hoping to get into the proof of work and environmentalism stuff, but man, this was a good rip. We'll have to schedule another one, Tim, with yeah, John. Yeah, we'll do it I, again for, for sure. I really appreciate what you brought to this rip, Tim. I'm so stoked that uh, I, I looped you in and roped you into this. Yeah, um, I mean, I, that, that sparked a lot of new thoughts I've never even considered before. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, I appreciate you guys and the work that you guys have done, John. I've, I've obviously learned so much from you in the last couple of months. And like the, the conversations, John, that you have and the stories, you, you learn so much of, of the context through the stories. And so, mm -hmm. you know, the work that you're doing is super valuable and obviously just learned a ton from Joel. So this has been a great full circle for me to uh, have this have this conversation. So. I appreciate that, man. It's, uh, it's been awesome to have you on and connect with you. And uh, like Joel just said, I'm sure we'll do this again and, and we'll be in touch regardless. So uh, keep up the great work, boys. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Love you, brothers. You guys Love take you. care. Love you guys too. Bye. See ya. Bye.